Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. Week six of the NFL regular season is upon us. We are in mid-October. How did we get there? The uh, leaves are starting to change. The weather is starting to cool down. And the second quarter of the NFL season is here. The Colts are rested to a degree after a short week last week on Thursday Night Football. And up next, a stiff test from the Jacksonville Jaguars who rolled the Colts back in week two, 24 to nothing. But the rematch is set for Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium as the Colts go for their first win against the AFC South. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Inside Football. I'm Matt Taylor. Rick Venturi, of course, is along. 27 years of coaching background in major college football and the NFL for Rick. How was your weekend, Rick? Rested up, ready to go for week six here. Yeah, I actually feel really, really good. It did take me a little while, uh, you know, to recover from that, that long road trip and that short week. But, you know, once we got uh, through Sunday and then Monday was a little bit easier because I had the breakdown already. Yeah. Um, you know, no, I, I feel really good. It, it, did, it now does feel a little bit like a mini-buy, uh, you know, without too much relaxation. And, you know, on ready to go, 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. That didn't look that bad. You know, I, I will bet you that as, as much complaining is going on that people would have probably thought at the end of five we would be three and two. It's upside down how we got there. With the tie, but, yeah. you know, if we if we have McLaughlin, yep. we are three and two basically right. going in. So, you know, it's, it's not bad at all. We control our destiny and particularly control our destiny in the next two Sundays. No question about a big, big AFC South games in the next uh, pair of Sundays, as you said. And as we sit here and talk right now, the Colts are almost a week removed from that game against the Broncos yeah. last Thursday. So let's put a bow on week five going into week sure. six. We know the game was ugly. You know, it's been well chronicled. It went into overtime, right. all field goals. What were the key reasons why the Colts won that game? What are the key reasons why the Colts are still in the thick of it in the AFC South here? And I have to laugh because you and I have had some laughs over this, but you know it's only ugly, I guess, in the context you watch it. If you love defense and special teams, it was a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> game, and, and any and any win is beautiful. To be honest with you, I, I think to put a bow on the first five weeks, uh, pluses and minuses. I, I think number one. Uh, you know, we were successful the other night, and when we've been successful, uh, it started It started with great defense. I mean, you know, we are, you know, we are eighth in total defense at the end of five weeks. Uh, we're tenth in, in scores given up. Uh, and most impressive, we have not given up a point in the fourth quarter or overtime in five weekends. You know, and we're now number one in fourth quarter defense, up from 29th in 2021 so it's full speed ahead on defense if we can continue to do those things get a little bit better in the red zone you know that's going to be our calling card you know add right that in with superior special teams and you got to give bubble credit and the team credit i mean we we change kickers and midstreams both guys were good selection both guys have really mattered uh, McLaughlin, I see, is uh, you know AFC Special Teams Player of the Week and should be. 
you know, Hawk has kicked really well, and our young coverage guys were great. We bottled up their number one threat in Washington, and that's kind of become the rule. We've, you know, again, so you know, two of the three issues um, that we've, you know, at the end of five weeks are really coming into their own and give us a lot of hope. And there is the one thing I'll say about the offense, there is an offensive resiliency here. Uh, We can play 56 minutes of bad football, but it seems like that last four minutes when it counts, we are able to kind of get it going. You know, part of that is Ryan's ability. You know, we always talk about it, selective amnesia, and to be able to play really well late in games regardless of what's happened. And so, you know, there's that quality. I think the three best qualities so far, defense, special teams, and offensive resiliency. Now, Mm -hmm. if we're going to make a run, if we're going to win these next two Sundays and make a run, there's three things that just have to be. And I'll just, you know, I'm not going to get into all the stats. They're all there for people to look at. But we've got to find a way to run the ball consistently. Okay, number one, we have to find a way to run it consistently. Got a little bit better Thursday night. You know, those two young kids busted out for 106, which is the credit to them. It's a little bit better. Number two, we've got to protect the passer. The 21 sacks just have to stop. We can't do it. We've got to protect the blitzes, which we've actually gotten better at. But we have to protect better man-to-man. We've got to help schematically where needed. But we've got to protect the passer. We knew this going in. Matt Ryan is not going to flourish if he doesn't have flawless protection. And then number three, and a lot of this is Matt Ryan, we have to have ball security. If, if we just, if we don't turn the ball over, if we don't get a, give it away, you know, we've probably been good enough to win most of our games. And so ball security, the 11 fumbles by the quarterback just has to stop. He, he's got to know when to fold them. If that pocket is collapsed, secure the ball with two hands. Do not give it up. I think, again, those three things, find a way to run it, protect the passer, and ball security. And if Mm -hmm. we can improve on those things, and really there's only one way to go, and that's up. I had a guy tell me that yesterday, a friend of mine, a media guy from St. Louis. He said, well, Rick, you know, there's only one way to go but up, and that's right. And so, you know, I think we, we know what it is. You know, continue to make the move schematically and physically, and go on from there. And again, let's make it happen in these two weeks. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to belabor this point because I brought it up yesterday during our podcast. But just to emphasize what you're talking about, and and not turning the football over, even if the Colts are as sluggish as they've been on offense, right? Only scoring thirteen point yes. eight points per game. Even if they still remain that poor in efficiency moving the ball, even if you don't turn it over. And those drives end in punts instead of turnovers and short fields for the defense when they take over. The Colts are giving up only 18 points per game, but 48 percent yeah. yeah. of the the points that the Colts defense has allowed this season is coming off of turnovers. So even if those drives end in punts, you know you're still able to win games and not give up these short fields for the opposition yeah. on turnovers by the Colts offense. I couldn't I couldn't agree more, and that's why I highlight the first two segments of why we why we why we've won two games it's been terrific defense and you're exactly right eliminate the turnovers do nothing else even if you get the 21 sacks mm-hmm. even if you don't run the ball if you just eliminate giving the ball away your defense is probably maybe number one in the league it might be right five right. points or less you know really if you just cut it if you say it's 48 percent which I know how accurate you are on stats, that means just cut it in half. You're holding people to 9.8 yeah. a game. Yeah. So 
Absolutely. And that's why, you know, that probably should be number one, but I just did it kind of in order that I always do, is ball security. Just do not give it up. That's what, you know, Tennessee won the game against us, really, because of one thing. They, even though they were giving it away at the end, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't sustain the running game. They couldn't stop us anymore. But we had three turnovers and they had zero. The one thing, and Tennessee does that consistently, is don't give the ball up. The Colts are number one in the NFL in uh, points off of turnovers allowed at 46 and 48% again of the points that the Colts have allowed on defense uh, have come off of turnovers. All right, this is our. And Matt, one last thing before we go on. In the in the you know the biggest key statistic, and you and I both are we back up our our statements with statistic. The biggest drop off, regardless, and you could go all over the place, is a year ago the Colts were plus fourteen, number one in the National Football League. Uno, and now we're sitting at minus six, which essentially is thirtieth. Mm-hmm. So you know that's that is the that is that's the discrepancy right there. And again, fix it, we'll be fine. Yeah, both quarterbacks in this game. We'll talk about Trevor Lawrence in a little bit, but Matt Ryan has 10 giveaways in 2022. That is tied for most in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence has eight giveaways. That's third most, and uh, that's sort of a nice little segue there into Jacksonville. This is our first Blueprint podcast since week four because of that Thursday night game last week. So let's talk about the task at hand. Those Jaguars led by Trevor Lawrence. Rick, they come into this game two and three and they've lost back-to-back games after starting the season 2-1, and one. and they lost to the Texans last week 13-6 to six in a game that was uh, just as ugly as the Colts and Broncos game when you talk about inefficiencies and, and things like that. But uh, Jacksonville turned it over twice with picks. They didn't score after halftime. They went 0-3 for 3 on fourth down. They turned it over on downs three times, and they went 0-3 for 3 inside the red zone. But despite the loss, just like the Colts, They're still in the thick of it in the AFC South. And if you go back to that first meeting, the Jaguars ball controlled the Colts to death. Uh, They won 24 to nothing. They led 17 to nothing at halftime. They held on to the ball for over 38 minutes back in week two. And Frank Reich said earlier this season that might be one of the best front sevens in the NFL with Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker and Foyer Olakon. The Jaguars have topped the Colts by a combined score of 50 to 11 in the last two meetings dating back to week 18 last year. Those games were in Jacksonville. This game, of course, is in uh, Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium where the Colts have won four straight, eight of their last nine games against the Jags in Indy. And this is interesting to me. The Jaguars have lost 13 straight road games against the AFC South. That's my big picture on this game. Rick, what else stands out to you about Jacksonville since the Colts last saw them uh, about three, four weeks ago back in week number two? Yes, and and I think you're right to uh, really kind of categorize Jacksonville because Jacksonville, you know, this is the third time we've played them in seven weeks, the way the football crow flies. It's three times in the last seven weeks. And in the last two times, you'd have to say they're dominating performance by the Jaguars. You, You gave a bunch of statistics there. The, you know, the biggest thing is the scores combined are 50 to 11. The two things I think that are really critical is Lawrence's quarterback, because I want to I want to talk about why we have to stop this. Lawrence's quarterback rating against us is 111.9 and 21 and 121.5 this year. And that can't happen. That's That's exactly why they beat us and why they didn't. And then in terms of the time of possession – 
It was 33-19 a year ago, 38-15 this year. We were only able to generate 94 yards rushing, 54 this year, and the Jaguars have combined for 11 sacks in two games. So, you know, when it's all said and done, I think not just motivationally, but technically we have to segment those two games and almost separate them from the rest of the Jacksonville uh, from the rest of the Jacksonville venue because they have been different. I think this about the Jags in big picture. I still think they're young and they're really talented, okay? But they do lack some things. Number one, they lack the explosiveness and offensive consistency to be a contender. That's what they don't have. They've done a really good job of accumulating talent, and we talked about this last time. The NFL rewards you for bad seasons, and so in a way the system works, both free agency and drafting. Okay, They have improved themselves in the coaching aspect of it. Doug Peterson is a good NFL coach, 48-43. He's a good offensive coordinator. Mike Caldwell is one of the young stars as defensive coordinator in this league, you know, disciple of Todd Bowles. Again, he finds that happy medium between sophistication and getting his guys to play. You know, the Jags, they are better on offense. We'll talk about that as we go. But in reality, you know, where, you know, the biggest key for the Jaguars is how good does Lawrence play? And he's a, you know, we'll get into this. He's a super talented athlete. He can beat you with his wheels and his big arm. You know, he can get on the edge. He can do all those things, boots, zone reads. And I always say he's like the girl with the curl. They used to say this when I was a kid. When, he, when, when he's good, he's very good. And when he's bad, he's very good. He's very bad. And really and truly, their consistency, their move forward, is really going to be determined by who is Lawrence. And as we get into this, we're going to talk about musts. We haven't done a good job against Lawrence. We've allowed him to get started in games, yeah. and he's a guy that feeds off successes. He grows with successes in games early, and just the opposite happens when he comes down. He tends to fold up. He tends to turn it over. And so it's so important to be able to stuff him early and really kill him early because – Again, if he gets going, he can play like Montana, and if he doesn't, he can play like Carson Wentz. So that's basically, you know, what you're looking at from a big picture standpoint. But they are, you know, they're better on offense totally, fifteenth mm-hmm. uh, in scoring and thirteen, uh, or, or yeah, fifteenth in scoring and thirteen total, and they're really good on defense. Now they're really they're legitimate on defense. They're top tier defensive team, yeah. number sixth in scoring, number nine, number nine total. And one of the big keys, and this has really killed us, is their number five in rush per at 3.7. And that's what they've been able to do with us, is stuff us on the running game, get us in a negative disadvantage passing downs, and get us with the rush. You know, the 3.7 rushing and then 11 sacks versus us has, has all gone hand in hand. So, you know, that's kind of the big picture on this team. Yeah, that's a look at them on both sides of the ball. Let's focus in on offense. When the Jaguars have the ball, let's talk about the blueprint there. 
and they're coming off a season-low six points to the Texans last week. And just like the Colts have had a hard time beating the Jaguars, the Jags can't beat Houston. The Texans have topped the Jaguars in nine straight games. That's a streak that dates back to 2017. Uh, The Jaguars 15th in scoring, but turnovers have killed them in the last two games. The big reason why they've come up short. They've got seven turnovers on offense in the last two games, including five against the Eagles two weeks ago. Trevor Lawrence had two picks last week against the Texans, including one big one in the red zone. And over the last two weeks, he's completing just 51% of his passes. He's got two touchdowns, three picks, and he's lost four fumbles. But he's been great in their pair of wins on the season, Rick. In those games, he's completing 76% of his passes, nearly 500 yards passing, five touchdowns, no turnovers in those games. And the same cast of, of skilled players that hurt the Colts back in week two, they're all back. Travis Etienne, James Robinson, who ran for a 37-yard touchdown against the Colts, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. So what are your must to defend and slow down the Jaguars who put up 24 points on the Colts back in week number two? Yeah, you're exactly right. This is a pretty well-knit team. I would say in general you've got two really good running backs. I'll get into that in in ETN and in uh, Robinson, uh, they've combined for over 500 yards and a 4-4 average together. Uh, the receiver core is good. Um, you know, the, the Jones guys, uh, Kirk is their leading receiver. Agnew is coming on. Uh, you know, they they're, they have an, an Engram at tight end. They're really a good, solid receiving core, but not explosive. Not a lot of big play guys. I think Peterson, I'll get into this, does a real good job of specializing them. Uh, you know, and then, you know, their offensive line is is high and low, depending kind of on the advantage-disadvantage. Um, I think their two biggest weaknesses is Taylor at right tackle, and now it'll be Shatley-F left guard. They lost Barch. I think they put him on IR. But so I think their worst positions are left guard and uh, right tackle. Again, on early downs, a lot of zone stretches, counters, RPOs, a lot of play action, zone reads in critical situations, critical downs. He's not afraid to take it and run it. A lot of hard boots with crosses, a lot of play action deep. And then if they get second down, they're like everybody else in the league. Everything is quick rhythm just to get back. Uh, basically, some things that are principles, they're going to run into that bubble against us or put two tight ends in power there. Uh, they'll come after your third corner, uh, primarily with Marvin Jones. And what they've done a really good job of is is utilizing Kirk as an all-purpose guy. I mean, you saw it in our game. I've seen it since. They'll put him at wide receiver, motion him back in the backfield, get a linebacker on him, and they really hurt us in the game doing that getting isolated one-on-one. So that's kind of their team. I talked a lot about Lawrence, so let's talk about the must. I think one, and I think this is critical, I think they, I don't think they get enough credit for this, is we have to really be disciplined and stop the run. Both Robinson and Etienne are really good. Robinson is a little bit more of an inside slasher, but he can bounce it. We've seen him take it to the edge, particularly like in 220 when we played him down there. Uh, ETN really is coming on. He had a big game last week. He's at 4.9. You know, he's jitterbugging, lottery pick, running back. Um, You know, he can run the sweeps, the traps, 
A lot of the finesse stuff goes to ETN, a lot of the gadgets where a lot of the straight zone plays where they just want to pound go to Robinson. But you have to take away the run, Matt, and because if if you take away the run, then you minimize one of Lawrence's best I you know, best items and that's the play action in the boots. He does better there because the linebackers get distorted. He has easier reads downfield. He could connect the dots better. And then you've got to really be alert, and we know this from history, for Agnew, number 39. He's one of the best hybrids in the league. People don't know about him. He had the big sweep against us a year ago. He's a guy that can come into the backfield like Kirk and go in on linebackers one-on-one. He's a good threat downfield. He He's a really good interior receiver. So, again, number one must – you know, be very disciplined because these backs can bounce it. They've got good vision. If you void a gap, they're going to find it. So it's got to be really good there. Number two, and this is critical, this to me is the number one reason other than their defense that we haven't played well against them. We've got to set the edge on Lawrence, okay? We cannot let Lawrence get started. He is terrific. He's still an NCAA quarterback. That's why he's up and down. But he builds confidence early in the game, okay? He still is number 13 QBR with an with a okay passer rating of 88. But bring early pressure on him. I, I would come after him very good, and I'd come after him from the edge so that when he does run a play action or a boot, we are right in his face, and we can discourage him early. And we got to have really good defensive uh, discipline at the end. Also, you know, with that boot game, you got to find the cr- the crossers. He's very inconsistent. He, you know, he's been Joe Montana versus the Colts, and and Wentz versus Philly. You you got to destroy him early. It, I'm I am convinced, and I've seen it. We, he's he's given it up like a slot machine. He's coughed it up like a slot machine. The last two weeks, four fumbles against Philly, two picks, and you said, and the one was destructive. It was the pick was in the red zone when they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna win last week, and he gives it up. And I really believe if you confuse him, I still don't think he connects the dots like an NFL guy. Make him play NFL, and I think he will have the deer in the headlights. I think number three, we've got to be willing, and in the games where we crowd their wide receivers. And we have more variation in coverage and blitz like we have Kansas City and like we definitely had last week. Okay, that's when we've played really good defense early and then just kind of taken the game over. This is a good receiver core, Matt, but it is not explosive. It is not – you don't have the 4-4 guys in there. You don't have big top-end speed guys. So your coverages have to match tight when you're bumping and running, bump tight – you want to you want to take this group away, and you know because they're just not explosive. Now, if they need a downfield play, it's probably gonna go. You, you know, it's probably gonna go to Marvin Jones. If it's an interior play, a possession type of deal, you know, he loves Kirk. Kirk's the leading receiver, and most of it is interior receptions. And so you, I think you always have to have a plan for Kirk. If he's in that backfield, don't let him one-on-one with a linebacker. Treat him as a wideout. Do not allow linebackers one-on-one on Kirk. As good as our, as athletic as our linebackers are, that's a matchup, and it was obvious in the first game. And then the other guy that was a bit of a tough matchup for us was Ingram, number 17, the tight end. So, 
But again, I think you take them away without the ball. You take them away early, make them work, close all windows, no big windows, smother those receivers, and then mix it on the QB and pressure him. I do believe he's still an NCAA guy. And then number four must is obviously we do those top things. We got to attack their defense, their their offensive line, discipline rush and blitz because he can beat you with his legs. We've seen that. Right. It's not just the designers. I mean, he can scramble. You know, he's moved it very well, uh, moved it really well in 21 when he had to make first downs and move the chains. So the rush has to be disciplined. I do like a lot of five-man rush, man-to-man, where you fill every lane. Uh, you know, I think they're a much better run-blocking team uh, than pass-blocking. I think Robinson's having a pretty good year at left tackle, but he can be beat in Gakwe if he'll get him up and counter can beat him. Where I think they're really struggling is Taylor at right tackle. I, you know, he's a high draft pick, but he can be had. He's got lazy feet. He's been beaten off the edge. And then their left guard and their center's a rookie. Their left guard is their biggest weakness. That's Shatley. Yeah. Again, they want to start Barch, but Barch got hurt and he's out. Right. So, again, and I kind of say this in total, this is a team because they play so much better from advantage, particularly the quarterback you got to control first and second down. you got to make this team a one-dimensional drop-back NFL team. If you do that, the quarterback and the O-line will fold. That's Rick Venturi right there on Inside Football with the blueprints to take advantage of the Jaguars on offense. I'm Matt Taylor. Let's switch over to the Jaguars on defense. And, Rick, that unit has been very, very impressive, very good all season long giving up only 16 points per game. That's fourth in the NFL, and they, of course, blanked the Colts back in week two. They rank sixth against the run, and that's considering they've allowed 326 rushing yards to the Eagles and the Texans in the last two weeks after giving up only 126 rushing yards in the first three games combined. So they're good, but they they could be even better had it not been for a couple of flare-ups. They're tied for fifth in the NFL in takeaways with nine, I'm classifying them as a very disruptive team. 23 tackles for loss, 7 picks, and 33 passes defense. They get their hands on the football. That's the most in the NFL, and they're very good in their second and third levels. Josh Allen, Foye Olakon, Devin Lloyd, Trayvon Walker, and then in the back end, Shaq Griffin, Rayshon Jenkins, Andre Sisco. They force the Colts into three picks. Uh, in the first meeting back in week number two. So what are your musts for the Colts to fare much better against this Jaguars defense in this game at Lucas Oil Stadium? Yeah, and, and the troublesome thing for us is where they're good is, you know, the the, the rush per 3.7, mm-hmm. number five in the league, and they've made that happen against us on first down. Um, you know, basically sacks, you know, have they've had 11 against us. And they have come because they've set up those second and twelves and those third and eights, you know, and they've got and they've gotten after us that way. And then basically they've been outstanding because they just don't give up a lot of points, you know, at sixteen. Um, you're right. I think one of the things that happened last week is that I, I did, Pierce just had a great game. He was just I I don't know that I've seen a young kid run harder. Maybe Jonathan, but I mean it was that kind of performance. He made so many yards on his own. It was unbelievable. But this is a real good defense. When you think of this defense, think of Tampa Bay, uh, think of Denver, and, you know, think of Jacksonville. That's that's the style they play. 
that style has hurt us. Uh, they are superbly talented. They've got two guys on the edge uh, with Walker and Allen that I'll put with any two um, guys in the league from that standpoint. They're tough up front. Robertson Harris has always hurt us. Walker in there. I mean, those guys are really, really tough up front. And then if they get you in disadvantage, they get in that NASCAR package, and it's Allen on one side, Walker on the other, and then Smoot and Key inside. And now that is a really, really tough front. That is a pass-rushing front. That can be scary. And as I said, they've produced 11 sacks versus us in two games. I do like their corners. You talk about takeaways. You know, I think they're really growing. Campbell and Griffin, they're really coming. Williams is okay at nickel. He's in, you know, Cisco and Jenkins, solid. I think they can be had, but I think they're solid. And you're so right about uh, Olakon and, uh, and and Lloyd are just two of the best guys I've seen. I mean, they can run, they can hit, and, uh, you know, they can, they can blitz. I mean, they can turn it all over. And what Michael do, think of a lot like Denver, is he's going to play a lot of that double sink under and double sink, which has given us trouble with a lot of, you know, five-man rush, both those edge guys coming and then – a fire zone coverage or a man coverage behind them. Uh, if it's sub, you know, then they're going to load the box with the safeties, either, you know, uh, what, what I call a 46, which is a three deep, or some type of fire to get us, you know, get us going. They're very seldom ever uh, going to sit back on first down and give you the run strategically. And then as soon as the, you get into longer yarded situations, um, you'll get a lot more cover four, but they match it tight. They don't. They make you work for it, and sometimes what I call a reverse eight, which they'll roll up strong and play quarters weak, um, and occasionally they'll run a zone two just as a changeup, a Tampa two. Then third down, it's a it's a lot of man to man in the short window, hard press uh, four as they get higher, and some zones as they go on. So again, you know that's kind of the schematics and the strength of it. Uh, I think our musts. And it's not necessarily in this order because I don't think you're stubborn against a team like this. I, I've been with Bill Belichick when you, against one opponent, you go out and get 250 yards rushing, and the next week against somebody that's vulnerable to the pass, you throw for 400. I think what's really important week to week is that you, you scratch where it itches, that you attack a team where they're weak. It's not so much what you establish, it's establishing what is necessary to win. I will so that, say this though. I think you have to find enough of a running game, enough of a running game to keep them off balance and to keep them out of second and long. I think it's really important you're going to see that double sink unless you're going to throw every down. We've got to get some gap powers in the offense where you gap block down and kick out or you lead through into those off tackle holes. That's the only way you can run the ball against that double sinking. We have to do that. But again, in base offense, don't be stubborn because the weakness of double sink is that you have eight guys inside the tight end box and your corners are absolutely naked on the outside. So you've got to be willing to get the ball outside to Pittman and now Pierce, who looks like he can beat just about anybody on the outside. And if you play action and protect seven-man protection, they're normally only three guys short, so there's a lot of areas back in there. 
That's what I mean, don't be stubborn. And then this is the week for the screen game because those big guys are going to rush the passer. You want them to rush it, and you want to screen to your backs and let them go. Make screens be a part of your base running game. Now, when you're in nickel on first down, that's when I really like to run it because you get them spread out. You don't see a lot of double sync. You don't see much under. Everything is a predictable over, even though there's an eight-man front. But you can block the safety, but you can pound the bubble. So, again, you've heard me say this before against Jacksonville. Nobody pays attention to me, but when you're in base personnel, that's when you want to be throwing it. And when you're in nickel, three wives is when you want to be running it. I call that play wrong. Play exactly what what doesn't appear to be what you're going to do in that set. I think that's really important. And then if we get behind an account, think quick rhythm passing, even running on second and long, stay out of third and nine, get back into third and five. Where they kill us is when you get third and nine and they start running those three-man stunts, and they're just frankly really hard to pick up. And so, again, always get back on second down. Again, I'll say this as number two. I've kind of hit it in a way. But, again, a lot of play pass early, but maximum protection because they're short underneath. When they when you bring five, okay, you're only playing three, four behind that, three, three in the middle and four deep. So, again, there's a lot of room to throw it with max protection. And then their corners are naked one-on-one almost every first down. And to me right now, the guy you want to get one-on-one, the guy that's hot, the guy that can beat – one-on-one coverage is Pierce, and I do think you want to take shots to him on first down. On first down, you can guarantee single high, and you can guarantee one-on-one coverage on the outside. And I, I think their corners are solid, but I don't think they're great. I, I, just, I don't think they're great. And, you know, if, if, if you just will attack them and go get them, uh, obviously I, I think you have a chance, particularly with a 50-50 guy like Pierce. Uh, number three, if we do get in third down, it's got to be protection first. Uh, even if we have to concede at times, we don't want sacks and turnovers. We don't want to let their defense feed off their plays. You know, they got the big turnovers against us in the first game, big turnovers, and that made all the difference in the world. So, again, it's all protection. You're going to have four really good rushers with two good blitzers behind them. So, again, anticipate blitzes from 33 and 23. That's the two linebackers. Protect those edges. Chip those edges. Don't let those guys out there one-on-one, and don't let them ruin the game. Again, if we have to, screen on third and long. You know, you know. again, run three-man patterns. You can run three-man floods to one side, but don't let the pass rush beat us and affect the game. And I think number four, and I think this is critical, it's kind of an all-purpose, but I'll say it for the offense, stay ahead in the count. Don't give this team physical or mental momentum. This is what we've done in the last two games. We've allowed them early in the game to essentially seize the day, and they have established both physical and, more importantly, mental momentum dominate these early downs and keep their pass rush on the bench. Their rush in diversity comes when they are in the advantage. So offensively, this should be a crusade, a literal crusade 
to win first and second down. Good stuff right there. Rick Venturi, as always, on the blueprints, offense and defense to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. And as we close out, Rick, we always talk about or hear about must-win games, right? Weeks one and two are must-wins to get off to good starts and take advantage of the AFC South. Week three was a must-win because it was the home opener and you're playing the Chiefs and you want to send a message and you don't want to start 0-2-1. You know, week five was must-win because it was prime time and, and all of that. This is the fourth AFC South game of the season for the Colts out of six. The most division wins this team can get is three. And I don't think you can win the division with less than three wins. And even that might not be enough. We'll find out when it's all said and done. But is this game a must-win game for the Colts if they want to win the division for the first time since 2014? And is it a must-win because of what Jacksonville represents, what they've done, and the way they've stomped on the Colts in these last two games? Yeah, I think all of the above. I I think the next two weeks are absolutely must-wins for the AFC South, uh, for this season, and for a lot of guys' jobs. I I really believe that. I mean, you know, again, this this thing is upside down. Even though record-wise we're fine in the AFC, you know, you're just, you know, half game back or whatever, um, and you control your destiny. But at the end of the day, you know, we're leading the AFC, AFC West. Unfortunately, we play in the AFC South where we're 0 for 3, you know, and we're really the only team that is 0 for 3 in the sense of AFC games. So, yeah, this is an absolute must. Um, you know, th- there isn't any question about it. You have to get this. You have to turn this thing around against Jacksonville or we're going to be looking at them, I think, for a long, long time. And then you get Tennessee next week, Mm -hmm. who you know you're even with, but somehow they found a way to win it. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. And you know what? Uh, if, If I were Frank, I would continually drive those bad statistics of how how Jacksonville has dominated these last two games. Not fluke wins, not lucky wins. No. They have dominated it, and I would want our team so angry by Sunday because they have hurt it so much. I'd have that 50-11 to 11 everywhere because I want them to know that they, they have been humiliated and enough is enough. No you know, and I say, damn it, do something about it. No doubt about it. Yep. It is glaring, absolutely glaring, and that's good stuff. Rick Venturi on Inside Football. Got to play with an edge, and you got to play with a chip on your shoulder, maybe like you haven't had all season long going into this game. One of the biggest games of the year because of everything you just laid out, Rick, and both teams are gunning for that AFC South crown. Can't wait for it, Rick. Huge games. Going to be great weather and uh, should be a great atmosphere between the Colts and the Jags at Lucas Oil Stadium, man. Can't wait for it, and we'll see you on Sunday. Okay, Matt, we're all, we should be us, the team, everybody in that stadium should be fresh and ready to go. No doubt about it. Yeah, 10 days off. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we will see you and talk to you on Sunday, just like we will visit with everybody audience-wise coming up on Sunday. You can hear the game on 93.5 and 107.5, the fan locally in Indy, and 97.1 Hank FM. And that's it for Inside Football. For the latest on the Colts, always check it out. Colts.com, the mobile app, and subscribe to everything on the Colts. Do that on the Colts Audio Network all year long. Podcasts, 
radio shows, interviews, we've got you covered. Again, for Rick, I'm Matt, and we will talk to you next Wednesday on another installment of Inside Football with Rick Venturi getting ready for the Tennessee Titans in week number seven right here on the Colts Audio Network.